Welcome to the Live, Move, Feel podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Aitken. I'm an exercise physiologist with close to 15 years experience and movement is my cup of tea. Now, we know that there's a strong link between movement, mindset and lifestyle. So I hope this podcast will leave you with a few takeaways that allows you to live your life to the fullest. So put your earbuds in, get moving, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Live, Move, Feel podcast. Now, firstly, happy new year. I hope you had a wonderful um, Christmas and holiday period. Now, this is going to be the first episode back for 2023. Um, and if you have been watching my stories lately, I did have a Q&A box up there. Um, so I am going to kick off the first episode of the new year with a Q&A episode for today's podcast. Now, I had quite a few questions come through. Um, I'm going to... I've picked out a handful and I'm going to work for your chat for around 20 to 30 minutes and just see how we go. Um, And then we can add in a few more um, depending on whether or not you've got sick of the sound of my voice by that point in time. So I am going to jump straight into it. So the first question that has come through was actually just asking my thoughts on deadlifts. Now, I'm not exactly sure what this person um, meant or in what context they've been asking that question. So I'm not sure if they meant are deadlifts a good exercise? Are they a bad exercise? Are they a good exercise for building muscle? Are they perhaps a bad exercise for backs? So I'm going to cover um, my thoughts on a few of those particular points in relation to deadlifts. So I um, personally have no problem with deadlifts and I do think that everyone should have the ability to hinge properly. So I do feel some sort of hinging movement should actually be included in a well-rounded strength program. So what we do know is that a hinge pattern is a fundamental movement pattern. So being able to hinge and squat um, and also lunge well go a really long way to mitigating injury risk and also maintaining just a base level of function. So in terms of whether or not deadlifts are a good exercise, it's going to depend on what context um, you're asking in as to whether or not they're good for. So yes, um, I'm going to say absolutely. I feel sometimes that deadlifts perhaps get a bit of a bad rap um, when it comes to particularly backs and back injuries. Now, what we need to remember here is that there's no such thing um, as a bad exercise, just a body that is underprepared for the demands of certain exercises. So I do think they're a good exercise, um, depending on what you're using them for. I do not feel that they are bad for backs unless they are executed poorly um, or unless someone is attempting to lift a load that is well beyond their safe lifting capacity. So are they good for building muscle? Um, Look, I think they have a place, especially in development of the erector spinae muscles. So they're the muscles that run up and down the sides of your spine. Um, And for someone who is competing, perhaps say in bodybuilding, on stage, what we can actually see is someone who trains a hinge pattern or a hinge type movement, such as a deadlift or an RDL, um, does have those well-developed erector spinae. So it gives a little bit more thickness and development through the back compared to somebody who doesn't. Um, So generally, yes, as I said, I do think they are a great exercise. I think they are good as a fundamental movement pattern. Um, But are they for everyone? No. In my opinion, deadlifts aren't. And I don't think they're an exercise that you have to do. I do think that some people, um, and particularly a lot of clients that come to me, they do think that they have to squat, they have to deadlift, um, and some think they have to bench press. And that is not always the case. So 
No, you definitely do not have to deadlift and there are certainly other options. Um, and for some people, what they might even find is that they can't actually, for um, biomechanical reasons, get comfortable in a conventional deadlift setup. So one thing that we do tend to see is people with really long legs um, and perhaps quite short arms in relation to their lower limb length may find it more difficult to get comfortable in that conventional setup. So they do have a little bit of trouble sometimes actually getting their arms around the outside of their legs to set themselves up in the bottom of that deadlift position. Position. So um, in those situations, a trap bar deadlift may actually be better for those people um, or even a wider, wider sumo stance deadlift. So the trap bar deadlift actually, while I'm on the topic, is also a really good one to teach that basic hinging movement pattern for someone who's learning how to deadlift um, or how to hinge. And that's because the weight, if you've ever seen a hex bar or a trap bar, you actually stand within that bar or in the middle of the bar and the weight is centered around you. So it does change the distribution of that load. Um, So the load with your trap bar is actually more centered around the midline of the body. And you will see with a conventional deadlift, that weight is actually placed more in front of the body because you're lifting that weight from in front of your legs. So this also means that a trap bar deadlift can actually be a little bit more back friendly um, given the placement of the weight. So as I said, around that midline of the body, um, because you're standing within the trap bar rather than that front load position, um, as is the case with a conventional deadlift. So hopefully that answers that question for the person who asked it regarding my thoughts on deadlifts. So yes, I think they're a good exercise. No, I do not feel that they are for everybody, um, but it really does depend on what context you are asking that question in. So, all right, let's move on to the next one. Okay, why don't you like the word bulk? Okay, so I do know who has asked this question. We had a discussion on this the other day. Um, And this particular person is looking to move into a building phase um, or a bulking phase. And I remember saying that I did not like the word bulk um, and I do prefer the word perhaps build or improvement phase. Now, if I elaborate on this, it is because I feel that the word bulk generally implies people eating more food than what they need for the sake of gaining muscle. Um, And I do think it also tends to imply that we don't need to be conscious of our food choices when we're attempting to gain muscle, and that is just not the case. And I think, as I said, I do prefer to look at a bulking phase, if that's what you want to call it, as a building phase um, or an improvement phase or an improvement season. So here we are wanting to build muscle, but we also want to moderate how we do this so and ensure that we're managing, I guess, that gain at an appropriate rate per week or per month so that we're not also contributing unnecessarily to our fat mass. Um, so that is why I generally try not to use the word bulk. And I think it also puts people off, particularly females. Um, you know, a lot of people are already resistant enough to the process of gaining muscle and to tell them that you're going to be putting them into a bulking phase, you know, most of them are going to turn and run in the other direction um, because that is the last thing that most people want to do, whether or not, you know, that will actually happen or not. Um, it's the, I guess, the connotation or the perception associated with that word bulk. So As I said, I generally prefer to run with the words improvement phase or a building phase, and I think they're probably more reflective and a little bit more accurate as to exactly what we're wanting to achieve um, in those particular phases of our training. And next question now, okay, how do I work out my exact maintenance calories I don't want to lose or gain? All right, so... Firstly, I'm going to uh, preface this question by saying I'm not a dietitian. However, one of the most, um, just to give you a little bit of 
background and I guess a few places to start if you're wanting to work out your exact maintenance calories. One of the most accurate ways to do this uh, for the average person and without access to a lab is to track everything that you eat for a week or perhaps preferably two weeks. And then from there, you can start to look at how much your weight has changed. So if your weight has increased, then what you have eaten over the case of that week or two means that you're actually in a calorie surplus. So you are eating in excess of your energy needs. Um, If your weight has decreased, then you're obviously in some sort of deficit. Okay, so your weight has dropped. Um, You're not eating enough to fuel the output that your body um, is delivering or requiring in terms of its energy needs. And then obviously, if your weight has remained the same, then these are going to be your maintenance calories. Okay, so if you've been tracking over the course of a week or two weeks, let's say you've tracked for a week and your weight has um, remained the same, then you can divide, sum up all your calories. So what you've eaten every day, total calories every day, sum them up across the seven days, divide them by seven, and that's going to give you your average maintenance calories. Okay. And that's what you can eat per day on average to maintain your current weight. So um, short of this, there are also, I guess, various formulas that you can use if you really don't want to sit there and um, track your food across the course of a week. So there are some formulas you can use, and there are some very simple calorie calculators available on the internet guys that are going to provide just an estimated what we call TDEE, so total daily energy expenditure. And that's going to be based on things such as your age, your height, your weight, um, your gender, and also your reported activity level. Okay, so there are certain calorie calculators out there that you can use. Just a side note on these, they're going to give you an estimate only. Okay, but Short of um, you know you actually tracking your food or getting any lab tests done, then the most accurate way of determining maintenance calories is probably going to actually be to track what you eat. Okay, so you're going to need to do that in some way, whether it's through an app such as MyFitnessPal, um, measuring things out, weighing things, and a good coach can also help you with this. So if you don't know where to start or you haven't had a lot of experience with tracking your calories or tracking your macros. Um, then a coach can also give you some guidelines and give you some support and advice on how to do this so that you get the most accurate um, type of result. Okay, so in terms of working out your maintenance calories, calorie calculators are there. They, again, aren't super accurate, but they will give you a ballpark figure and it can be something to start with. Okay, from there, you can obviously see if your weight increases or decreases. If it goes up, you know that you're eating in a surplus, so you'd probably need to drop back a little bit more to hit a maintenance level of calories. If your weight has decreased over that time based on what the calorie calculator has told you you should be eating for maintenance, then you know it's a little bit off in the other direction and you could be eating a little bit more to help bring your weight back up to a maintenance level. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea as to where to start in terms of working out your maintenance calories. Now, the next question I've got here is, are you taking on clients that want to compete? So yes, I am. Um, I am seeing clients in person at the moment at Five Star Physique Fitness. So that's located in Brookvale on the northern beaches in Sydney. And for anyone who's not in the local area, um, I do also have a group of clients that I am working with online. Um, So some of them are in New South Wales. Um, And some of them, I've actually got a couple in a few different states there as well. So there's a few options there. If you are looking for a um, coach that specializes in comp prep, yes, I can help you out. There's a few probably requirements here. If you are thinking of competing, please reach out and reach out sooner rather than later and start asking questions. 
My suggestion here is not to wait until say 12 weeks before a show to reach out and start getting the ball rolling. So give yourself as much time as you can um, and the longer the better. So generally we want to be looking at 12 to 18 months before a show. Let's start you know, to create a plan that's going to help you get there um, in the best conditioning possible and obviously in the healthiest way possible as well. So if you are wanting to compete, yes, you can drop me a DM via my Instagram, so at Gemily underscore xfiz, or you can also email me and my email I'll put in the show notes, but otherwise it is themovementlink at gmail.com. Okay, so there you go for that question. Now, next question is how many days a week do you train? So I will answer this. So I'm currently training five days per week. Um, prior to this, I was doing six days and I have been doing six days for quite a while. And it wasn't till I've actually scaled back more recently down to the five days that I'm finding I'm really starting to drive some good gains in strength. And I've also noticed that my recoverability is a lot better. You know, it's not something I ever thought I would step back on, but sometimes I think getting a fresh perspective on things, um, really being able to listen to your body can be helpful. So yeah, currently doing five days. And then there was a second part to this question as to what do I recommend? Now, this is really going to depend on a couple of things. It's going to depend firstly on the time that you have available. So there is no point trying to get a five-day training split in when realistically you can only ever make it to the gym, you know, three days per week. So the first thing, look at how much time you have realistically available to you to train and look at what you can do on a bad week. So a week when you know, work deadlines are pending, the kids don't sleep well, you know, one of the kids is home from school sick, Um, you know, you're running behind on meal prep, you've got dinners to cook because maybe your husband or partner is away. So on a bad week, how many days can you consistently get to the gym to train? And then I would be starting there. Um, The other thing that the number of days per week that you will train for depends on is going to be your goals to a certain extent. Um, So someone with just general lifestyle goals of improving their their strength, um, their function, their general fitness, their health and well-being can probably get away with, you know, maybe around three days per week as a minimum. Um, They definitely don't need to be training six or or definitely not seven days per week. Now, someone who is going into comp prep um, and has perhaps stricter and more rigid body composition goals, they and physique goals in terms of perhaps muscularity and size, they may well need to train more than those three days per week um, if they can. So generally in terms of my rule of thumb, we usually like to suggest a minimum of three days training per week to make changes. Two is in most cases just not quite enough. Um, up to sort of a maximum of five days in the majority of cases before recovery and performance starts to be negatively impacted. So if you are training seven days per week, just have a look at the perhaps quality and quality and intensity of your training sessions um, because there may be room to perhaps scale some of that training back a little bit so that you can actually get more out of the sessions that you are turning up to when your recovery is better and you are feeling a lot fresher. You will have more to put into those sessions. So that is the answer to um, how many days per week I train and what my recommendations are. So there's a few it depends in there probably as you've picked up from um, a lot of the, the topics that we start to discuss in these episodes. Now, what is the difference between your stage weight and your off-season weight? So I'm going to firstly pop a trigger warning on this one. I will disclose figures. Um, It doesn't bother me. These are my numbers. They are specific to me. Um, And then obviously not something that is going to be specific to anybody else um, outside of myself. But if you don't like hearing 
numbers, you don't like hearing body weight and things like that affect you negatively, then please skip forward on this one. So I would skip forward maybe two or three minutes um, on this particular point in the podcast. So prior to competing, my natural body weight was probably hovering around the 54 kilo mark, give or take. And my stage weight in my first year was actually down around 49 kilos. So if you um, know me, there was obviously nothing of me at that time. Um, I was very, very lean, but there wasn't a lot of muscle on me. So that was in my very first season, and that was around four and a half years ago now. So my stage weight more recently um, over my last two competitive seasons has been much closer to 51 kilos. And I know two kilos doesn't sound like a lot, um, but that has actually given me a completely different body shape up on stage. So I have been able to bring up some of my lagging areas. Obviously, you know, there's a lot more that I want to build on, but as a starting point, um, you know, and as a natural athlete in the time that I've had, you know, I guess I have to be okay and happy with that. Now, my off-season weight over the last two improvement seasons or off-seasons has actually come up closer to 59 um, to 60 kilos. So I have pushed it up there for various reasons um, and also based on the advice of my coach at the time. So you'll see there if you've done the maths that I've lost close to, you know, nine to 10 kilos for my last two competitive seasons. And I'm, you know, really, really not sure that I want to be doing that again. Like it is a whole lot of work. Um, You do feel really wiped out towards the end of it. You can imagine, you know, losing, what would that be close to, you know, more than 10% you know, of your body weight, Um, you're going to find yourself pretty lethargic, pretty, you know, drained, lacking energy, poor sleep quality, um, and all the other things that come with being, you know, right in the depths at the pointy end of a comp prep. Um, So this time around, I am looking at a more conservative rate of gain in this improvement season. So I've definitely got some targets in place um, and I am doing regular check-ins, but I'm really looking to drive an increase in my lean mass and my lean muscle tissue as much as possible. So yes, of course, there is definitely some fat um, that is going to go on, but we're managing it in such a way that I really hope it won't be blowing out this time around in this improvement season as much as it has in the past, because I think to be losing nine or 10 kilos, you know, in a comp prep for me at my size um, is quite a lot. It's obviously, you know, takes quite a big toll on my energy, um, you know, my ability to focus, my concentration, my productivity, you know, everything else outside of uh, outside of the gym and training, as well as all of my training sessions and my performance in there. So, um, you know, in terms of what I'll compete at in my next season, it's, it is really, really hard to say. I'm probably moving into a bit of a, a really good 12-month um, improvement season. So hopefully we are able to build uh, for a large or gain bits and pieces for a large part of that time before I actually reach the point where I'll need to start to um, enter that comp prep phase again with the goal of leaning up towards the stage. So look, it would be really, really nice to have maybe another half to one kilo on me next time I get on stage. And that's at this point in time is not going to be for a bit over 12 months. Um, But it's a case of trusting the process, I think, turning up ticking the boxes in terms of my nutrition, ticking the boxes in terms of my training, make sure I am progressively overloading there. I'm working to get a little bit stronger, add in um, a couple of extra reps, a little bit of extra weight. And yeah, just knowing that I've got someone there looking over this and just making sure that the rate of gain um, is a little bit more conservative will help ensure that any weight that I'm putting on is hopefully contributing, as I said, to lean mass as much as possible. 
So if you had tuned out with that one, um, guys, with a trigger warning, you can jump back in now. I'm going to move on to the next question. Now, I've been going for about, what have we done? 20 minutes. So let's do one more question here um, and then I'll wrap this one up. So the next question that I had was, my coach has programmed two to three minute rest periods between my exercises. Is this too much? I feel like I'm wasting time. Okay, so here is the thing on this particular um, topic. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make with regards to their strength training sessions is that they are often turning their session into a circuit by significantly reducing or eliminating their rest periods. Now, if your goal, guys, is to improve strength or build muscle, we know we need to be working within, say, one to three reps of failure, okay? If you're genuinely working that hard within a set, then you should actually need every second of those two to three minutes before you're ready to start your next set. If you don't need at least a couple of minutes to rest and recover, then I would actually question if you're working hard enough to stimulate the growth and gains that you're after. Or if you're not using, you know, the suggested rest periods, then is your next set actually going to be compromised because you're not recovered enough to then apply adequate intensity to your next set? Okay, so hopefully that answers your question. But in short, you should need the time that your coach has suggested. Okay, and if you don't, then I imagine there is probably room to step things up and actually push yourself that little bit further within each of your sets so that you are needing those two to three minutes rest before you're feeling physically ready and recovered enough to put um, another good amount of intensity into that next set. Okay, so I'll give you um, just one tool that I like to use here with my clients and particularly outside of personal training sessions when people do sometimes wonder how hard they should be pushing themselves or if they're pushing themselves enough. Now, when you think you're done, this is what one thing that I do tell my clients, but when you think you're done at the end of a set and you're training by yourself, I would then like you to do two to three more reps. Okay, so in your head, you're like, okay, I've done my 10 reps. That's enough. Don't stop go and do another two to three more reps. So that should get you a little bit closer to where you need to be in terms of intensity if your goal is um, hypertrophy and your goal is to build muscle, okay? So guys, strength training, again, it's not a circuit session. You do need rest periods. It's a very different type of training, particularly for someone who is used to, um, say, their HIIT style sessions, their circuit style sessions, doing a really high number of reps with very little rest and moving from one exercise to the next without actually pausing for, say, more than 20 or 30 seconds. So if you're wanting to improve your strength, if you are wanting to build new muscle tissue, then we actually need to be working hard enough to require a few minutes rest before we can then go again into our next set. Okay, so um, if you're not working that hard, as I said, give it a go in terms of hitting your end point in your mind, then going and adding another two to three more reps and see how you're feeling at the end of that. So, but on that note, I'm going to leave it there for this first episode back for 2023. Um, if you have any other questions, you are certainly welcome to send them over. I will be putting in a Q&A episode, probably, I'll probably do one of those a month. So it's a weekly podcast. I'll get a Q&A episode out every four to six weeks um, because I do have questions that come through on a weekly basis. So I'll save them up. I'll pop them in the, the upcoming episodes and then answer them for you then. But as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot. You can share it to your story. You can tag me at Gemily underscore xfiz and you can also hashtag the live move feel podcast but until next week have a great week keep moving 
put your earbuds in and I'll be back with another episode soon. Oh, 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 o